Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My guest today is Greg Reed, creative director at 100 Studio, and somebody I had the pleasure of meeting when I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland, for the Belfast Homecoming event that I attended. And he was part of a Bricks or Sticks workshop that we ran in Ireland. And I loved his story about his entrepreneurial venture. So I invited him on the podcast and he accepted. So welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Greg Reed. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be on. Yeah. So like I said, I I love your story about 100 Studios. So um, why don't you give our listeners a little background? How did you, you you are now creative director of an agency, co-founder of it uh, with your partner. And, so how did you get the start in agency work and what led you to start 100 Studio? And here's an interesting side note. When did you start it? Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll start with kind of my, my business experience at this point. Um, I, I went to university and, and studied like an interactive media arts degree. Um, and it gave me kind of a really good breadth of knowledge across lots of different aspects of, of all of that whole kind of canon of, of service design. Um, but what I found was that actually I, I really liked the idea of spending lots of plates and, and throughout my whole life, whether I was in like high school or when I went to university, I was never sort of just doing my schoolwork. I was doing my schoolwork and I had jobs and I had other things I did as well. And when I was in university, I wanted to run a club night and I learned to DJ and, and I've always been the kind of person to try and, you know, I had ideas above my station and always have has. And, and so I, I quickly jumped into the first job, um, which was at a startup, which was great because I had to wear lots of hats and I, I did everything I could. And um, it was a great experience, but um, with startups, there comes lots of challenges. And one of those challenges for me was stability. So I moved into an agency role um, just after my wife and I got married. Um, and from that point, I'd spent you know a couple of years in, in one agency and a couple of years in another agency. But... Um, I'd kind of always had that approach of I wanted to kind of do as much as I could. And I think having a very rigid um, job role meant that what was expected of me was to do just the thing that I was asked to do. And I always wanted to try and, you know, I wanted to do this thing on the side. And I wanted to have a good art direction. And that, that wasn't in my job spec. And it wasn't what was needed of me. But I knew that I could improve what I was doing by by stretching. And so I always did that. And, and then COVID came around and, and I kind of realized that you know, a lot of people saw it as this really terrible thing, and, and it was. But for me, I saw it as a really great opportunity. Um, I spent a lot of years working in agencies. You know, one of them was eighty staff; the other agency was about twenty-five staff. And I, I realized that that as agencies got to a certain size, there was a certain kind of rule of thumb. There was a certain amount of red tape that was necessary, um, and that comes with scale, and it comes with the kind of size of projects and, and the approach of the business, and to safeguard everybody. But I realized that there was a real opportunity to kind of say, well, what if we, we cut a lot of that away? Um, and if we went to, you know, this kind of um, small, agile kind of um, business that would allow us to get rid of the red tape and, and to execute more creatively and, and, and I suppose to take some stuff out of the way. Um, and so, you know, come around the first lockdown, you know, we kind of start testing the waters with a couple of projects. And um, a few months later, we registered 100 as the, the kind of legal business that it is now. So 
we're into our kind of fourth year of, of running the business. And so far, it's all been, you know, a great, a great uh, endeavor. I always joked I started the business so I wouldn't lose my house and I still have that house. So it's a success in my eyes. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's interesting, you know, to, to look at what was coming up with the pandemic. Now, nobody, of course, realized the, the extent that the lockdown would last, but you started it at the beginning of the pandemic. You said, yeah. right, we're going to start this agency with your partner and kind of not knowing what the future held. Yeah, I think we we jokingly said we were going to try and start a magazine. Um, we wanted to start a magazine called uh, it's called On Mag. We'd got up a couple of rough ideas of like design of what it could look like. And um, and then we kind of started speaking to people about what, you know, would you buy this magazine? Would you do this? And, and it was meant to be this very culturally driven thing. And and we sort of thought there's a real absence of like culturally driven um, pieces of work. And it led us to kind of realize maybe there's a space to do that for other people. So instead of us trying to make a magazine, what if the magazine was an example of a great client? Yeah. Do, do those clients, do those people that will exist, do they need help with this? And is that a better use of what we could do? So it kind of merged into becoming what the studio is now. So it kind of it's interesting to look back and think, we talked about trying to make a magazine that was culturally driven. And instead we sort of said that, you know, it's the most important thing for us is doing culturally driven work. Well, and, and what I like about that is that you weren't married to the process or the plan, right? You, you, you had a strategic goal and you said, look, it's going to, it, we might, you know, pivot, you know, in, in several different ways, you started off with a magazine and it turned into an agency, right? more or less. Um, yeah. But you have, you and your partner have kind of a, a unique approach to work, which is also something that really caught my attention about how you select your clients and how you pitch your clients. Why don't you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So we, I suppose as a studio, we, we try to, to not be um, too much like a big agency. And I think that, you know, in a, in a straight race, an agency of 80, is going to beat us as an yeah. agency of two, right? That will always happen. <laughs> There's no point in us trying to get into a foot race in, in that instance. But what we want to try and do is we're kind of, you know, small on purpose and we're agile by design. The, the plan is, is that um, where other agencies have real good structure and they have, you know, and, and it's, it's very much a horses for courses thing. Um, it's not a better or worse option. It just depends on what it is that the client needs. But we feel like we've got this real good approach that we can be really different and that um, we really aren't married to anything, you know, as a business. I, I jokingly say when people ask what services we provide, I say, I, I would try and design an extension for your house if it felt like it was the right thing for us to do. And it's, it's this idea, I think, that we're, we're willing to be as flexible as is necessary that kind of, it gives us that, that ability and, and a big part of that is like how we see great work and what we identify as great work. And, um, and not just that, it's that idea of, you know, we, we don't copy and paste work. We don't have playbooks. We don't have kind of the, the kind of, you know, rules and regulations that come with when you have 25 staff, you need to have all of those things. We're this kind of um, trying to be more of a kind of off the mark, you know, kind of spark hits the tinder approach. And, and we want to be, um, something that when when everyone else is doing something similar, we're sort of saying, what what if we did something totally off the wall and different? Um I, I think a big a big part of the studio we realized there's a 
there's like an old economics law from like 1929 called Hotelling's Law. And it's the view that, you know, time and market, any number of competitors will become more and more alike mm, because they're yeah. all fighting for what they think is the same thing. And what that actually does is drive the value of being different. Because when all if you think if there's 10 people and nine of them are fighting to be like each other, that one person has so much room to go and do whatever it is they think is the right option for them. And um, that for us is that moment where we think actually we can really add value there, we can really separate the clients that we work with there, we can offer serious competitive advantage. And I think that's where, where our approach comes in and where that is very different from what you get from a lot of other places. It's an interesting philosophy. You know, you zig when everybody else zags, you know, because sometimes the zig could be a dead end, but then it also could be the mother load of opportunities. But mm. in your business, you're not really looking for the mother load. You're not looking for, you know, 60 new clients, right? I mean, I guess it would be great, but, you know, as you look at your, you know, your, your prospects and, you know, what I tend to get is that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. So when you interview them, what are you looking for in that client? Like what, what makes a great brand in your mind? Like somebody that you'd love to work with? Yeah, I think it's my uh, business partner, Craig always has this joke. He says with us and clients, they it's either taste, trust or combust. Now the trust or combust <laughs> thing is like a, it's like a street preacher kind of analogy. I'm going to remember that. Here. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very simple. I think when we look at, you know, who are, who are great partners for us and it's, <laughs> we either have to share a taste, right? And it's, it's a very simple thing. It's like a palate question. You know, our, if we make suggestions on a topic, are you, are you going to buy in and go, yeah, that, that sounds great. I've had that before. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of that, you know, fine dining isn't for everyone. So if you take someone fine dining and they're just not into it, doesn't matter how good it might be. It isn't to their taste. So we want to make sure we either share taste. And if we don't share taste, we would, you know, we hope that clients just trust us. And in some ways we hope they trust us blindly. And then they say, and we have clients who do, who say, you guys do whatever it is you need to do. And I trust it'll be right. Go ahead. And if we don't get into either of those two spaces, it's just going to be something where I don't think there's success in that project. And I think that, you know, a lot of people in my line of work will say yes to everything. And as a result of that, you know, a large proportion of projects they deliver will be successful because they haven't essentially disqualified people who wouldn't have been a good fit. And um, that for us is really, really important. But I think it's when we do speak to clients, we want to make sure like if, if we're going to work with you, we want to make sure that we can provide like a, an actual difference to you. We want to make sure that there's real value in what we do. And um, we sometimes joke with clients and say, this might seem expensive. If this pays off, it'll be a bargain. That's always the approach we want to take is that, yeah. um, you know, if we can get those, those parts of, of, of those conversations in the right way. And sometimes that's like a necessary abrasion that when we speak to clients, we, we almost want to say, if I, if I prod you and I frustrate you about this thing, you'll come out with something gold. You'll say, you know, the brand has to feel like this because this is really important. And that doesn't come to the forefront really easily. Sometimes that takes a bit of work. And again, to come back to the question, what makes a great brand? Um, I wrote down three words that everyone will say all the time. So like trust, recognition, and emotion. Mm. But I think what it means is, you know, trust is, can you rely on it? So can you rely on the brand to do what you need it to do? It's why some yeah. people like to buy German cars because they know like, I can rely on a German car. Recognition, are you going to remember it 
So if you see something in that brand, are you going to know when you see it? Oh, that's, you know, that's an Apple product. I can, I can recognize that when I see it mm. and emotion, does it make you feel something? And I think great brands, great brands allow you to trust them. They allow you to recognize them and they allow you to feel a certain way. And it might not always be good. That's, that's the other part is that, um, you know, Nike as a brand is, is one of the world's biggest, most influential mm. brands. A lot of people didn't like when Nike supported um, Colin Kaepernick when he was when he was taking his protests and he was removed yeah. from the league and they were the front runners to say no we're supporting supporting him in this endeavor and this is really important to us and part of our values and it doesn't always have to be an emotion that everyone has to agree with mm-hmm. but if people feel strongly you're doing the right thing yeah yeah it's interesting I I always talk about love and trust with with our yeah. clients and listeners. You know, when you think about what your brand needs to have in in it, you know, when people see you and when they're referring business to you, it's love and trust. I love you and I trust you. You know, in a lot of cases, the work that your clients are doing is stuff that you can't see. I'll talk about plumbers and electricians and auto mechanics like you have no idea what they're doing, you know, in in, you know, when they're coming to fix something for you. So that element of trust is significant. Now, okay, I'm 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 guessing that if you're telling me this is a you know an eight hundred dollar job that it's really not a three hundred dollar job and you're just charging me an extra five hundred, I have no idea, right? Yeah. So there has to be that element of trust. So a lot of our listeners are small and mid sized companies. Um, there are also bigger brands that target the the small and mid sized business market. What are, and you've kind of alluded to some of them, what what are some of the biggest mistakes that brands are making today? So I, again, I, I, I come from kind of a semi-Presbyterian background. So I've got three answers again. Um, <laughs> forgive me. Um, the, uh, Everything I in threes. Come, it's good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So the, the, the thing I would say is like, it comes back to that hoteling's law. I think people look sideways all the time. What are my competition doing? I think that you almost put brackets on the market, you put brackets on the sector or the area, whether it's geographical or, or not. Um, and when you continuously look sideways, you're going to maybe think you're making a very different decision to your clientele or to your my clientele, to your um, competition. But actually, the decision is being informed by something they've done. Mm-hmm. So you're different to them, but you're different in a lens that you're looking at. You know, it's rose-tinted glasses. Yeah, um, I would say that clients... That, that we've partnered with, we always recommend to them. We say, you know, if we're we're doing work for a healthcare startup, what can we learn from the sports industry? What can we learn from, you know, luxury travel? Is there, is there something we can learn from the hospitality industry that gives us a competitive advantage over people who are just thinking about the kind of health and wellness sector? Um, I think standing still is another big one. I think a lot of the world's kind of best brands often feel like they're three or four steps ahead. And they feel like they've they've almost read the future. I think that's that's a key thing is the brands who are um, who are really 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 great are often a few steps ahead. And I think that comes from standing still and saying we're good where we are. I think having that push to say what's next and always be looking ahead of what's next and saying you know um, we joke I want to make sure what we do as a business. My competition looks at and goes why didn't we do that. And I think yeah. that's a really good metric that why didn't we do that? If you can make your competition think that about you, you're in a really good space. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, something that a lot of brands maybe don't get 
aren't great with is, is the idea of kind of depth. And I, I've kind of written down, I think a lot of brands are too thin. And I think that's... Too thin? Yeah, too thin. So I think you maybe you get... I'm speaking maybe more visually here, but you maybe get a logo and you go, oh, we've, got, we've got a great logo, so we'll just put the logo on everything. And that's the depth of our identity, is yeah. that we, we put the logo on everything. And it's the same way that you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy an old Toyota and just stick a Mercedes logo on the front of it. It wouldn't just turn it into a Mercedes, right? Right. It's that right. idea of like, I think great brands are driven by how deep they go and by, you know, all of those little parts. And, you know, I've mentioned Mercedes and I said Toyota too, it's a great brand, but you know, when you sit in a Mercedes, you expect that when you press the plastic, it doesn't squeak. You expect that the leather seats are soft and that doesn't need to have a Mercedes logo on it for it to feel Mercedes quality. And that level of depth, I think is something that a lot of brands, um, you know, great brands get right. It's this idea of, how do we go beyond just having a logo? How does, does every little part of the interaction that we have all tie in? Um, I, I wrote a blog about this years ago. I called it brand cinematography. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of like, you watch a Scorsese movie and every single, every pixel on screen feels like it's in the right place. And equally, when you watch Game of Thrones and there's a Starbucks cup on the counter that someone's forgotten to take away, <laughs> it ruins the whole shot, right? Yeah. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm always saying to clients like that, that idea of like cinematography, you know, you have to be like a film director and you have to be cutthroat. Say this has to, everything has to be perfect. And those brands who do that are often the ones where you can take the logo off and you know it's them. And that, that is where real value is found, I think. So, you know, the brand, you know, we we put together that bricks or sticks workshop, and and brand was one of the four cornerstones of the the GPS plan, right? It, it, because that means so much. But and 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 I love for business owners to think proactively about their brand. But is there? It, 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 can you spend too much time on your brand, you know, aiming for perfection, um, especially with the small to mid-sized business owners? They don't, half of them don't even understand that they have a brand. It, it, you know, they, they're they're either competing, they, they find one space to compete in and they they put all their eggs into that basket, you know, whether it's delivering exceptional customer service or trying to compete on price, or maybe they have a unique product and then they market the hell out of it. They're, they're, they're downloading, you know, email marketing campaign strategies, right? Like how to get it in front of the right people and stuff like that. But they don't take that step back and say, what does my brand represent in this marketplace? Like, who Mm. am I? I'm the face of the brand. What, what does that look like? You know, most of my business gets referred to me yet. I don't think about how are people referencing my company when they're making it? So how how do how do small and mid-sized companies be more proactive about brand recognizing the strengths of their own brand, putting together, um, I guess, programs to build their brand, but not like don't I, I always say don't worry about perfection. Like if you have that Starbucks, mm. it's almost like if you have that Starbucks shot in the scene, you know, because there's only one Martin Scorsese, right? And yeah, and what I would say is that's the human element coming into it, and you can make fun of it, like you can laugh about that imperfection, 
I guess that's where I'm going with it, because I think we as business owners struggle with wearing so many hats. I've got sales, I've got HR, I got financial, I got branding, I got marketing, right? I got all these different hats to wear. And I think that's why we would hire you, wouldn't it be? I mean, because you would you would help us avoid putting the Starbucks coffee cup in the shot. Yeah, I think it's sometimes we we kind of realize this is that when we deliver, you know, facial identity projects or brand strategy projects for clients. Um, oftentimes, you know, we jokingly say we've shot ourselves in the foot because we we want to essentially teach you how to drive and then we give you the key, right? And that's yeah. that's yeah. job well done. Um, I think I don't necessarily think that you can spend too much on brand. You can find agencies that are very expensive. You could find um, you know, brand activation campaigns that cost a lot of money. But I think that when you really get brand right, it allows you to kind of pick and choose where you spend the rest of your time and where it's going to be most effective. So um, especially I think for small business owners, you have to realize you know, the brand question becomes such a, who are you targeting? What are you trying to get out of them? And, and um, we always say to our clients, it's much less about qualification. It's much more about disqualification. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you know exactly who you have to try and market to, you know even better who you definitely don't need to market to. And I think without having a really clear understanding of where your brand has to stand or act or behave, it can be easy to say, I'm going to sink all this time into my sales. I'm going to sink all this time into my marketing. But without having those really key ideas of, well, my brand is for this type of customer. And doing sales to a much broader aspect of people without realizing my type of customer is 10% of that market. So I don't need to do anywhere near the amount of that field of effort that I was going to put in because I've spent a little bit of time to figure out my brand doesn't act like that. So let's not spend the time acting like that. So I think that's where there's that mix of getting brand right often allows you to be more streamlined and it often allows you to be more um, targeted and specific on, on what you kind of you then go and execute, so to speak. Are you are your clients, are they mostly big brands? Are they mid, you know medium-sized companies, small businesses? They run the gamut? What is it's it's everything. So we we've yeah. we've worked with like you know massive multinational businesses that are worth eye-wateringly large amounts of money, and we've worked with small <laughs> startups that are um, you know people's own people's own money. It's it's just the case yeah. of um, what works best for the client, and, and and for us, we have a minimum buy-in, so we don't lose money as a business, you know, ourselves. Yeah. But we're always saying to clients, look, if if we can help you. We want to be able to help you. And it's it's about us again. It's that qualification of clients for us. You know, you said we interview, you know, the kind of people we would like to work with. It's in some ways, if we can help and we think we can do something really interesting and really creative, we will. And it doesn't, that's not a scale thing. That's not a, you have to turn over this much every year for us to work with you. Yeah. You know, you you have contrarian thinking. You know, you're, you're a contrarian thinker is what I see. I've mm-hmm. never met your partner. I don't think, have I? think so no okay but i i I would imagine that that is something that um resonates with your clients because you talk about eliminating you know demographic markets and somebody who is very sales focused would say no 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 no. i don't want to do that just in case there's a buyer in there somewhere you know, so they they will dilute their brand, they will dilute their efforts, and they'll take a shotgun approach to it, where you're much more focused on 
saying, look, this is the bullseye on the dartboard. That's where you want to be. And that's contrarian to what everybody else in your market is doing, where they're all on the outside of the board, right? They're they're trying yeah. to hit anything and everything they can. So that I can see is where businesses put their trust in you and your partner. Yeah. Saying. Yeah, I think we, we, we run on this and um, there's an idea in like online internet culture and like, especially in buying behaviors. Um, but just in, in how people interact online nowadays, um, and it's called the 99-1 rule. And it's the idea that like 1% of all the people online truly do something brand new and unique. And 9% of people see what they do and do their own version of that. And the other 90% just consume and they'll, they'll follow along. Yeah. So I suppose that the, the thing with seals is you can look at the hundreds and say, I want to try and get everybody. Right. We're looking at it and saying, if I can get that one, I know nine will follow and I know I can then get whoever else is in the 90. But if I try and get someone in the 90, there's much less likely to be that kind of snowball effect from the pyramid kind of goes top down. Right. So how do we, we want to get to the very top. And yeah. that will trickle down much more effectively than if we try and, you know, work our way up. And that is, I like, I mean, that makes a ton of sense, right? It's, it's, uh, it's about, uh, what is it? The uh, lion and the sheep or who, who is it? Sheep are followers and lions are leaders, right? And you mm. target the lions and the sheep will follow. Mm. Right. All right. Uh, let me pivot a little bit, because when you and I met in in Ireland, we were talking a lot about the U.S. market, which you yeah. and your partner have a lot of interest in and and do some work here. So when you look at a, a market like this and, and I'm saying this to my listeners and I want you to put this into your own head, when you look at a, a new market or a, and a, you know, a market opportunity, um where do you see the greatest opportunity for your company and how would you approach it differently than say other brands competing in this space? So I'm yeah, going to put so you on the hot seat, right? So this is sure. what you do with your clients, right? You say to them, okay, here's a new market opportunity. What's the best opportunity? What's the bullseye for you? And then how would you pr- approach it in a unique way that would make you stand out? Yeah, so I think like looking at the U.S. market from from our perspective, I think who we're going to add the most value to are people who are aware of the benefits of you know an outside opinion, you know, and not just an outside opinion of you're not in my organization, but someone who is coming to this with absolutely no baggage, no assumptions, no kind of um, there's no weathering of how I would see you know if I spoke to someone who wanted to sell business insurance in Delaware, right? Mm-hmm. I have not yet worked with a business insurance business in Delaware. I don't really know the Delaware insurance market, you know, <laughs> inside out. And yeah. some people might look at that and say, well, I want someone who knows it inside out. Yeah. The reality is someone who knows it inside out is going to do what they've done before. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's that you go into a, this is a terrible analogy, but we're, we're almost trying to be Forrest Gump and he learns yeah. to run and he just so happens to be really, really fast. And so he can enter races and do really well. He hasn't come to this with sprinting training. He doesn't know how to use the blocks. 
And sometimes there can be reservations and there can be baggage that comes with understanding the ins and outs of something super intricately. And I think that actually the ability for someone like us to go into new markets is that we're exceptionally agile. So we can pivot much easier. We aren't tied to anything. As I said before, we're not married to ideas. Um, we can bring new concepts, new kind of vision, new creative into things without having to have the baggage of 40 people and what we've done before. And this is what we would be expected to do. It's, it's coming from a totally blank slate. Um, we, when we have our core, we have a core team of two people here in the studio and uh-huh. we'll essentially build a creative team for every project that we get. We always have, it's what we've always done. And it means that we can have 15, 20 staff on a project if it's required, but I don't have 20 people to feed here. So I'm, I'm not winning projects and finding out how I make them service my business. It's right. total other way around. We're trying to build teams. We're trying to approach projects and say, what is the absolute best way to solve this problem to pardon me, drive creative in, in this space. How do we do that? And if that's ideas out of our station, who can we get involved that will do that much better in that way than we can? And that might mean that we end up with a team of five people. That it's all managed, just 100 studio. And at the end of the day, the project's delivered. Client has got a completely bespoke creative team built for them based on mm. their needs. And it's it allows us to kind of be really agile with that stuff. And it means that clients can come to us and say, I really love what you did with that project. And it might be totally out of their wheelhouse. It might, it might be that that insurance company really loved what we did with this sports business, but they love it, how the concept came about and how the kind of what, what the brief was and how we meant the brief. And I think that that is where the real opportunity lies is in saying mm. we won't, we did a brand for a dentist and, and our goal was for it not to feel like a dentist. And so if you ask a dentist to judge it, Nine times out of ten, they'll go, oh, I've seen dentists. I know what dentists look like. Yeah. But our goal was that all the influencers want to get their teeth done at this dental practice. So how do I make a dentist for an influencer? How do I make a dentist that someone who has lots of money will put their Range Rover in a double yellow lines and get a parking fine to go? Because they have expendable income. They don't care how much it costs. Yeah. As long as the teeth look good. <laughs> and so the brief, we want to we want to meet the brief in a place where we're not looking at it and going, we would like to increase your revenue by 5%. That might be a really good metric for someone, but we want to look at it and say, well, who's the 5%? What, what do they look like? Is there a person in there that you want to try and reach? And if we can get that person, does that represent a far bigger opportunity than just moving the needle a little bit? Yeah. I love the, I love the way you think about brands and, and, and I hope that our listeners are benefiting from, your approach to it because it is unique and and it but it definitely gets them thinking about how their brand is represented in the marketplace you know in a very crowded field you know here's how you're going to stand out yeah i, I, I think like that's that's the I, I always kind of said this as a joke like if, if you're going to be anything it's worth being the exception that doesn't it's not a positive thing you know it's not guaranteed that it's going to be a positive thing right but it's going to be a different thing and that yeah. Yeah. sometimes it might not pay off, but I think more often than not, it is well worth standing out. And I, I think that's ultimately that has to be the key for us. It's the key metric for us. It's we, we, we talk to clients and we say, if you plot you and your competitors on a graph, I want, after we're finished with you, I want the graph to be replotted because we put you so far off that we have to move everyone else down. 
and that only comes with being comfortable at being the exception and with kind of wanting to push yeah to get it into spaces that others are afraid to and yeah it can be scary to think about and it can be scary to say yeah let's go for it but i think uh-huh. anyone that we have worked with would probably agree that, that it's, it's well worth trying you know yeah jerry seinfeld the comedian had a great line about that he said you know sometimes the road less traveled is less traveled for a reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> which, yeah which, I, would, I would say he's right yeah, but there, and but that's it. You know what? You, you when we become the exception, there are no guarantees. First of all, there are no guarantees on anything—a well-worn road or a road that's lightly used. You know, you know, there's no there's no guarantee that you're going to succeed on either one. But if you do your homework, you know, you can see what's a dead end and and kind of look ahead and be able to see how this is going to play out. All right, we're in the home stretch, and I'm going to do something new. Uh, this and I'm th- I'm gonna throw you a slight curveball, slight sure. put you on the hot seat. But before I do that, I want to ask you what what's been the most challenging uh, parts of running your own business, especially in the last couple of years, where it's you, you kind of came into you know business ownership at a particularly tough time in the history of business ownership. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest thing for us has been sticking to our guns. I think that's the, that's the honest answer is that we, when we started the business, um, I'm, I'm a very extroverted outgoing person. Um, much to my, my uh, wife's chagrin sometimes I think I, I can be very loud and I can be very, um, forthright. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure other people have other words for that. Um, um, other words for me, but it's it's this idea that I think from day one we always said we're gonna we made big statements, we we made kind of big sweeping um, plans, and said we're gonna do things very differently, and we're we're not gonna try and sign up lots of businesses on small retainers and build a big massive team. We said no, we're not gonna do that. We we want to work with this kind of plan. We want to do things outside of the box. We want to do this, and I think. We, we almost made a rod for our own back. And then we said, right, we can't, can't break that. We, yeah. We've made an unspoken promise to ourselves that we're going to, we're going to stay small. We're going to be specialists. We're going to make sure that we're picking the right kind of clients for us. We're going to make sure that the work that we do is being driven. You know, our, our key value is creativity. And so I'm for us, it's always been, if we can deliver this as creatively as possible, that's what matters most. If we yeah. can save 10% of our profit margin by doing it differently, we won't. That isn't a conversation that we have. And I think the hardest, the biggest challenge for us is that we almost said that from day one. And I don't think we've, we haven't really deviated from that, but it's been a challenge to not say yes to easy projects or really great profit margins for work that probably would have been very quick and easy for us to deliver. But we we're saying, no, I, I'm going to way overdo this project. So if, if you're happy with me overdoing it, let's overdo it. If not, Let's not try and um, I don't. We we've never handed anything over substandard or kind of okay. I think all of our work has been up to a certain standard that we've insisted upon on day one, and sometimes it's to our own detriment. But it's been one that we've said, no, this is what matters to us. I think it reinforces your brand, and and it reinforces the trust that people have in you that you will stay the course in terms of delivering, you know, the best, most creative um ideas uh, to the program that you know that's you're, you're married to those goals not like you said profit margin goals mm. I, I like that all right 
I'm going to put you on the hot seat. All right. I literally just thought of this as we we're having this podcast. You know, it's just I'm going to zig when everybody else zags. So I'm going to ask you five That's questions. Fun. Five questions. First thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite social media platform to use? TikTok. TikTok. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite TV show? Curb Enthusiasm. <laughs> I love you that. Can show. The same in the background. Yeah, Larry David. Love that. Love yeah. that show. National Treasure. Um, what what two or three brands do you admire? I would say I think the most important one is probably going to be someone like Apple. Okay. That, you know, there's there's that they have that trust. They have that level of you know, you get excited to open a box. It's so hard to get that. It's not an easy thing to do. Sure. sure. Um, I think Apple is one. I think another one that I'm I'm obsessed with and i think is a fantastic example of you know setting your own course um skateboard brands started in the uk called palace based in london okay and um they have again set a rule book for themselves and never deviated from it they've done collaborations with alpine formula one team a few weeks ago they've done adidas collaborations there they've done collaborations with elton john they it's ridiculous but they've never deviated from who they are. They've always been so true to say we're, if you look at the website, you look at the meta, meta description, it, there's no SEO. It's just like capital letters and, and quips, but they have a hard cover book. I think I actually might have it in the studio of like product description mm-hmm. and a hard, like in a fight on coffee table book and they're nonsense, <laughs> but they've been nonsense from day one. They've never changed. That's who they are. I like brands that sort of set their course and say, we're not changing. Yeah, it's it's admirable. It's admirable when it pays yeah. off. Um, who uh, who is your favorite entrepreneur? Who is somebody you look at and think, "Wow, they really they did it right." It's a really good question. Um, I'm going to say possibly a strange one. I'm going to say maybe Ryan Reynolds. Okay, because I think that there's an element of his personality that I think is non-negotiable when he works with something. Mm. And I think that anything he's put himself into, he has done it in a way which is honest and respectable about the source material. And he's, he's very um, respectful of it. But he also does it in such a way in which he allows you to engage with it in a new lens. So Aviation Gin never became like a bad liquid well-branded thing it was always an award-winning spirit and, yeah. and even recently obviously they, they bought football club and they've wanted to make sure that they've stayed true to the, the local area F- football is a very sacred thing here in this part of the yeah. world or soccer yeah. as, as most of your listeners will know it um, <laughs> it is probably more than life or death to yeah. be honest and so i think i i really love the kind of spirit that, that he has brought to a lot of things but very notably in that project where it was very much a they I think they realized very quickly that they maybe bit off more than they could chew. Mm. And they thought, well, we better get chewing. We better understand this and do it right. Yeah. Okay. Uh last one. Uh favorite business book or business movie that you could watch or read over and over again. I'm gonna say I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of an avid sort of sneakers trainer guy. I'm gonna say Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I think it's just a phenomenal book. Yeah. Brilliant story of of someone who saw an opportunity and kind of just you know hell for leather you know yeah the fact that you know Nike started as a distribution company for Asics 
Yeah. You know, yeah. and what it is now, just an amazing story. Have you seen the movie Air about Michael Jordan? Yeah, I, I really, I really liked there. Yeah, that was great. I liked it a lot. That was yeah. well done. All right. Last question. Uh, what does next year look like for 100 Studio? And have you started well, your we have our, plan yet? Yeah, I was going to say we have our <laughs> GPS plan. Well, you know, it's uh, I might go and get it done in stone tablets so that I've got it, you know, it can't change. But okay. um, yeah, I think I said this to you on a call we had recently. I think we've, we've built a very, very good fishing boat. And I think we've got become very accomplished at fishing. This is the metaphor I'm running with. But I think that what we want now is we want to make sure that 2024 is a year we kind of we go into deeper waters and we try and get some of those kind of um photo worthy catches right we want to get some of those bigger fish that we say yeah that doesn't doesn't mean scale big fish it just projects that when we finish the project we deliver it and we say hey look at this and and we think yeah that was a that was a good catch and and i think that's the plan for 2024 is to um just keep going. You know, we, I think every year we've had, we've grown as a business. And, and so the fiscal side is okay. I'm not so necessarily worried about that, but I want to make sure that even as that happens, the work doesn't, the work is far more important to me. I'd rather we flatlined on money and the work got better than the money yeah. goes up and the work stays the same. Yeah. Your accountant might not agree, agree with that, but <laughs> yeah, it's, I, you know, have I bother great- him all the time. Yeah, you have some great takeaways. I like that. A photo-worthy fish, right, to catch. Is that what you said? That's how you phrased it? Yeah. It's like yeah. the opposite of Jaws. You know, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. I feel like the boat's good. I'm going to need a bigger – I need a bigger shark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Well, Greg, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge and your wisdom about branding. And I know that – I personally benefited from it. And I hope that our listeners have as well, Um, you know, to be proactively thinking about your brand, where it's positioned in the marketplace and how they can zig when everybody else is zagging. Um, Loved all of it. So thank you for that. No, thank you so much for having me. It's great. And um, yeah, thank thank you for humoring me. Yeah. Well, let's do it. We'll do it again at the end of 2024. We'll have you back and we'll talk about that photo worthy fish that you caught. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll have it framed up in the studio here. Good, good. Uh, all right. So, everyone, you've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast. Our guest today was Greg Reed, creative director at 100 Studio in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I love his website. I love the work that he and his partner are doing. I'll put their information in the resource page if you want to check them out. And we will see you next week on another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. Until then, everybody. Take care and find those photo-worthy fishes. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.